0: Great. So let's just pray. Father, I just want to thank you that you're a God who speaks. You're a God who is ever present. You are God with us, Emmanuel. And I just thank you for just the way we've been able to celebrate the truth of your victory that we stand on your victory. We stand on that incredible rock that is our God. We stand on the immovable one, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in that, we can know true peace, and we can know true victory in every situation. Amen. Amen. Great. Lovely to see you all here. Lovely to see the sunshine. Isn't it nice? Um, Good. We are in our third week of our series, looking at the 40 days between Jesus' resurrection and his ascension back into heaven. These 40 days where he encountered different people individually and in groups. And one thing that uh, goes right the way across every single encounter was that it was life-changing. Absolutely life-changing. So we looked at Mary Magdalene right back in that first Easter Sunday morning at the tomb. You know, her... her Courage and her devotion was just so, so in evidence there. And she was the first one to be given the, the truth that Jesus is alive. And last week, Rob took us through uh, the disciples on the Emmaus Road, their encounter with Jesus. And again, with each of these encounters, we see how hope is, comes from despair. How where they were deeply disappointed, they found new joy. It's just wonderful, isn't it? They were full of doubt, and then faith came. Why? Because they encountered Jesus. They encountered Jesus. So we're going to kind of, this theme continues, as you'll see, right the way through every encounter that we're going to look at in this series. So if you've got your Bibles, do turn to uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20. Going to read uh, verses 19 to 23. This is where Jesus, for the first time, encounters a group of his disciples. Here, the eleven are there, minus Thomas, who uh, encounters Jesus eight days later. We'll uh, probably look at that as well later on in this series. But this is uh, verses 19 to 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, so this is still Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday evening, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Another incredible encounter with Jesus, with the risen Jesus. It must have been kind of weird. There they were, locked doors, huddled together, turning around, and suddenly there was Jesus. Where did you come from? How did you get here? You're alive. It must have just been one of those strangest moments. And what I find interesting is that despite all of these disciples hearing the accounts, the rumors that Jesus was alive, one of which we know from Luke 24 was Peter himself who encountered Jesus individually He would have known, he would have seen Jesus, and yet the overall atmosphere of this group of disciples was still one of fear. Lock the doors, we're told, because of fear of the Jews, the Jewish leaders. It was still an atmosphere of unbelief. Despite these testimonies they were hearing, Mary, the the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Peter himself, they still didn't believe. They were still full of fear. In fact, Mark 16 tells us that Jesus rebuked them for their unbelief. Doors locked. Why? Why were they still so full of fear? I think it says an awful lot about the power of a personal encounter with Jesus. See, up until this point, a majority of them had just heard second-hand information Jesus is alive. Do you believe it? I don't know. I'm not sure. It was second-hand information. The thing is, the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, is never about just hearing second-hand information. But it's about having that personal encounter with Jesus firsthand. That is what the gospel does. We encounter Jesus by his spirit. That's what changes us. That's what transforms us. You know, I I love hearing testimonies. That's why we encourage it on a Sunday. I love hearing about what God has been doing in people's lives. It is powerful. It builds faith. But testimonies alone cannot transform a life. Only a personal encounter with Jesus. Can transform a life. You know, personally, I, I grew up in a home where both my mum and dad were Christians. My brother and sister also gave their lives to God. And yet, if I'm honest, I think for a long time I rode on the back of their faith. I was very happy for them to do the Bible reading, for them to kind of, sort of uh, initiate prayer times, and, and I just kind of went along with it. I was happy to settle feeding off their faith secondhand. Rather than pursuing a personal relationship with Jesus myself, although I had made a personal commitment to Jesus, I kind of stepped back and settled. And if you've tried doing that, if anyone's tried doing that, you will know how ultimately dissatisfying that is. Living off somebody else's faith. Ultimately, it's pretty empty. And it wasn't until I made a decision to actively pursue getting to know Jesus, getting to know the God who I had made a public confession that I was surrendered to, getting to know Him in the word, asking him to fill me with His holy Spirit, that actually, that's the moment that my life changed. That's the moment where I experienced real heart change. It was a personal encounter, not second-hand information. And I think it's a really good reminder for us when we share Jesus with others that it's not our jobs to transform lives. That's His job. That's God's job. You know, only Him. You know, we share our story. We share what God has done in our lives, but we point people to Jesus and He's the one we want them to have an encounter with. He's the one who can bring that real heart change. And so, back in this story, what those disciples needed wasn't just secondhand testimony. They needed Jesus to show up. And when Jesus came into their midst, everything changed. Everything changed as it always does. You know, before we can be a people of influence, Before we we can reclaim the world for God's glory. I love that line in that song. We are here to reclaim the world for his glory. Before we can do that, each of us need to have that personal encounter with Jesus. Not just once off. We need to be those who pursue Jesus daily. Moment by moment. Intimately. Because that's when change happens in us. And so in this passage, what we can see is when Jesus shows up, new peace comes. And again, I just love the testimonies we've been hearing this morning. Carmen's, even in that car crash, she knew the peace of God. She knew this joy of God. Because this peace of God is independent of our circumstances. Davika as well. Even in the turmoil that she is going through, she can testify to the peace of God. She can testify to the clarity that he can bring. I love that. Because it's true. I, I love the fact that what this story says, what this testimony says, is that Jesus turns up and brings us peace in our Fear. And in our mess, and in our stressful situations, he doesn't wait to say, listen, when you've worked it all out, when you've got your act together, then I'm going to step in and say, yeah, you deserve some peace now. He doesn't say, listen, when you've got a bit more faith, then you're going to receive my peace. No, no. While the door was locked, while they were still in fear of the Jews, Jesus came into their midst, And brought new peace. If you're fearful this morning, if you are struggling with a lack of peace, as as Rob's already prayed, Jesus can bring that peace in a moment. He comes right into your midst and brings his peace. He is the God who in Isaiah 41 says, Fear not. Why? Because I am with you, I am right there in the midst. Of your situation. I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. What a promise. What a promise we have. Into our fear he brings this peace. He brings this strength. He brings this help. What a God. You know this peace isn't this kind of reassuring word. You know. It's not... It's not a feeling of of ease. But what it is, it's the shalom of God. You know, shalom is this Hebrew word that that encapsulates the, the rule, the perfect rule and reign of a sovereign God in your life. It's knowing that shalom. God, you are in control. If God is for me, who can be against me? Actually, I've got nothing to fear because my God is on my side. It's this reality. It's not wishful thinking, it's a reality of knowing that that this kind of be still and know that I am God. It's that sense of assurance Psalm 46 brings. Be still and know that I am God. I'm with you. True peace is only found in the presence of God. Jesus said himself in John 14, 27, my peace I give you. I do not give peace as the world does. It's a very unique peace. It is the peace of God that transcends all understanding. You know, we live in a world that is is far from experiencing peace. It's in turmoil, isn't it? We get little snippets. North Korea. We're we're, going to sort of talk about denuclearization and all that sort of stuff. And you get little moments of it. It's not true peace. This world is full of stress and strife. And yet because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can know true peace, even in this world, even in this world. We can know personally this shalom of God. I think it's helpful to to think of this peace in, in three layers. There's three ways we can know this peace. Firstly, we can know an eternal peace with God. It's what Mike, even this morning, was talking about and singing about the fact that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, sin has been dealt with. This barrier of hostility between God and us has been removed. We can know eternal peace with God. That is ours. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Colossians 1.20 says, Christ made peace through his blood that he shed on the cross. This very act of the crucifixion brought us peace. We can know eternal peace with God. This leads to an internal peace with ourselves. Do you know peace with yourself? Because we can know peace with God, we can have peace with ourselves. Again, this so few people are at peace with themselves in this world. Maybe because of the past their upbringing, mistakes they've made. Or maybe it's just purely because we live in such an unhealthy culture of striving. This consumerist culture, this this culture of dissatisfaction. There's very little peace that people can experience with themselves. And yet, because of Jesus' finished work on the cross, we can know we are truly loved, we are truly accepted as we are. We can know this freedom, this peace with ourselves, and that in turn leads us to an external peace—a peace with each other. You know, we've often say it. Ephesians says it very clearly. You know, God destroyed the, the barrier between us and God, but also the hostility between each other. We can know peace with our brothers and sisters. We we know who we're fighting with. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. You know, our fight is not with each other. Our fight is with the powers and principalities of this dark age, the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. That's where our fight is. We can know peace with each other, and we can be at war in the heavenly realms with the authority we're going to be looking at that we have in Christ Jesus. It's an amazing peace that comes from the presence of God, coming from knowing Jesus in our midst by His Spirit. A peace, as I said, that goes beyond all understanding. A peace that guards our hearts. We can know a peace that guards our emotions. Our emotions can get so stirred up when we're going through difficult times. We can know a peace that guard our, guards our hearts. We can also know a peace that guards our minds, the seat of our thoughts. Again, we can go into panic mode. I again, just love Vika's testimony. She just had a clarity. I can hear your voice, God. But a peace that guards our minds, it's ours in Christ Jesus. Do you know this peace in your life, even in the storms of life? As I said, it was just so good hearing those testimonies this morning the peace of God in very stressful situations. And apologies if you've heard this story before, I tend to sort of recycle some of my stories, so but um. It's just a good example of when I experienced peace in a very stressful situation and it was when I was 18 and I moved to Tanzania in East Africa to, to uh, work for a while and somehow on the second day I was there, I was bundled into uh, a police car um, and with my friend who was with me and we were threatened that if we didn't give them all our money, they would beat us and throw us in prison. And so there we were, sat on the back seat between two very, very large policemen. They were telling us stories of how there have been some Japanese tourists. They've taken their passports. They've been in jail now for the best part of uh, six months. They get beaten every day because they refuse to pay. It was kind of a stressful situation. I was young, very inexperienced, very naive, and here I was under arrest by some dodgy police. And so what I did, I, for the, I don't know why, I've never done it since really, and I've never been in this situation since, thankfully, but I started to speak in tongues very, very loudly, and I got some very odd looks, but in that moment, the peace of God just filled that car. Absolute, all stress, all, oh my word, what's going to happen, just went out the window, literally, and I had a clarity of thought. Suddenly, I just gestured into my pocket that I, 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 I couldn't get my hand into my pocket unless I was standing up, the car pulled over, the big guy got out, me and my friend slid out of the car, stood up, and I just shouted, run, and I ran, listening to the shouts, get back in the car. Sadly, my friend did get back in the car. He said later, well, they're police, weren't they? What was I supposed to do? I'm like, police who bribe and, you know, you, you, they're okay, you can run from them. Graciously, we were reunited shortly afterwards. Again, that's another story, miracle working God. But the peace that I experienced that just came into that car was tangible, was tangible. Even in that stressful situation, that wonderful clarity God, you're here. I don't need to fear. God, you're going to find me a way out. He's an amazing God. And for those disciples, that that first Easter evening, Jesus came into their midst, into their fear, into their stressful, stressful situation, and brought his peace that is like no other. That is a promise for us too. Peace be with you. Secondly, when Jesus shows up, new hope comes. New hope comes. With Mary Magdalene, hope came when he called her by name. Mary. Wow. Jesus, you're here. For those disciples on the road to Emmaus, hope came as he broke bread with them. Her eyes were opened. Jesus, you're here. And for this bunch of disciples huddled here together, hope came when Jesus showed them his hands and his sides. Show them the scars. Let them touch him. You know, I am no ghost. I am not wishful thinking. I'm not some made up figment of your imagination. I am real. I am actually here in your midst. Again, in Luke's uh, uh, account, he tells them uh, how, how Jesus ate with them. He ate fish. I, I am actually here. I'm physically with you. I'm not just a dream, an apparition. Touch me, he said in in Luke's gospel. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Suddenly they were filled with hope. This was and is Jesus. And more than that, his scars proved that sin and death were defeated. That it was mission accomplished. He really had overcome death. And he was here living proof. You know, our faith is not wishful thinking. Despite the fact that we personally haven't visibly seen Jesus, our faith is not blind faith. It's not blind faith. Our faith is, 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 is more akin to the, the faith we have that 300 tons of metal can fly, if in the shape of a 747. 747 we are fully it's more about being fully persuaded i am fully persuaded that jesus is alive i am fully persuaded that my sins are forgiven i am fully persuaded that i have a hope beyond the grave i'm fully persuaded you know sometimes when people who who don't know god say well how do you know i wish i could have faith like yours and it's like it's hard to say it's just i just know i am fully persuaded but Jesus has saved me. You know, I, I, again, sorry, Tavika, I'm pulling you out again, but it was just a lovely testimony. You used that phrase, I, I, I saw Jesus, I see Jesus. We see him with eyes of faith. It's not a blind, blind faith. It's not a, just a leap into the unknown, leap into the dark. It's this inner conviction, I am fully persuaded. We can know the wonder of experiencing the presence of Jesus, even though we've missed out on the wonder of physically touching him, like these disciples did. We can still know the wonder of his presence with us. Jesus himself said to Thomas eight days later, because you have seen me, you've believed. Because you've physically seen me, you've touched me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me physically and yet believed. That's us, isn't it? We're blessed because we have this inner conviction. We've been fully persuaded. Jesus, you are Lord. You're our Savior. And you're alive today. So Jesus was there physically. He wasn't just an apparition, figment of their imagination. But what's also true is that his physical body had changed. He was now in a resurrected, glorified body. Whereas we read the doors were locked. It's not an issue. Just appears in their midst. In the same way he disappeared after he broke bread with the, the disciples on that Emmaus road. He he his body was changed. He had this glorified, resurrected body. And, and apologies if this is heretical, but I love Marvel's Agents of Shield. Anyone watch that? A few people, yay, the geeks, you know, there's no need to be ashamed. It's fine. Marvel's agents Marvel's Agents of Shield, if you're wondering, it's kind of a um, slightly far-fetched. Uh, story about these inhumans, these superhumans. They go through this thing called pterogenesis. And once they go through this kind of rebirth, they become, well, they look just the same, but they have superpowers. And they, have, they, they are able to do things that no other person can do. I think they ripped the story up, that whole thing, off the story of the resurrection, personally. Because Jesus went through this new birth. He came through. We're, we're, he, we're told he is the firstborn from the dead. He's the first fruit. That gives us hope because we too will get resurrected bodies that are no longer hampered by sickness and by decay and by aging. Never subject to that again. We're going to have new glorified bodies like Jesus at the end of time. That is a wonderful hope. And Jesus there, is demonst- he's a demonstration. The firstborn from the dead, Colossians 1.18. He's the first fruit and we will follow. What a wonderful hope that we have. Death is not the end. We will be reborn. We will be given these wonderful, glorified bodies, far better than being inhuman. (laughs) We're going to be in glory with Jesus. Amazing. He gives us hope, He gives us peace. Thirdly, when Jesus shows up, we find new joy. And again, we've been singing about that this morning. We've been talking about that this morning. We spoke a lot about it because we did a whole series on joy just recently. So I'm not going to add too much to what we've already talked about. Just to simply remind you that true joy, true joy, the source of true joy is only found in God. It's only found in Jesus. It's just the, the, the wonderful fruit of knowing his presence Being in a relationship with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. thing is, as we read these gospel accounts of these encounters with Jesus, let's never forget that we can have these same encounters with Jesus. Yes, they're not physical, they're not visible. We can have these encounters with Jesus and the impact on our lives is just the same. Is just the same. Same as it was 2,000 years ago. Jesus transforms us. We can know this real peace. The past has been dealt with. We can know this hope that, that, that our future is secure. And we can know this joy that will empower us for life. It's the promise of God. But if you notice, this passage doesn't stop at simply transforming this bunch of disciples. Because Jesus goes on to send them out. You know, Jesus doesn't just want to do something in us. He wants to do something through us. This wasn't just the start of a transforming work in them. It was the start of a transforming work for the entire world. And so in verse 21, he says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. A personal encounter with Jesus, becomes a public expression of his amazing grace. It goes beyond us. Again, just this whole vision, this picture of being a river, the river of God, being called River Church. This river comes in and fills this place. We get refreshed, but again, it doesn't stop with us. The the prophetic picture that many of us know, the front doors burst open, this river then goes out into the community. That's what it's for. As I said before, we're called to reclaim the world for God's glory. So when we encounter Jesus, he sends us out with a new purpose, a new purpose. Before, what was the purpose of that group that were huddled in that room? Their purpose was simply survival. Lock the doors, let's lie low. We might make it. I think sometimes some Christians can feel that it's a case of survival in an increasingly hostile world. Let's just lie low, lock the doors, and hold on till Jesus comes again. That's not what we've been called to do, folks. We've been called to to be on the offensive. We've got an amazing message of good news that the world is so desperately in need of. We have a new purpose. And I say it's an expression of God's grace because don't forget, these guys that Jesus was handing over his mission to as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you, they didn't have a great track record, did they? We know that they were a people of fear initially. We know that they were easily intimidated. We know that they were unreliable, impulsive at times, generally unfaithful. That gives me real hope when I think about myself. How many times have I bottled it? How many times have I kind of missed opportunities? And the reason it gives me hope is because when Jesus gives them This mission, his mission, he places it into their hands. We know from history that the world was and is changing. We know that the gospel spread like wildfire. It was uncontainable. We're living proof of that. In fact, today, a third of the world profess to be followers of Jesus. That's where it started from. The mission of Jesus. How? Well, quite simply because with new purpose comes new power. With new purpose comes new power. When we encounter Jesus, he gives us his Holy Spirit. And it is only in his power that we can accomplish his mission. That we can bring this this peace and hope and joy that we ourselves have experienced. It's only through his power that we can then bring that to the world. We so need his Holy Spirit. Verse 22, we read, with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And this little verse um, can be quite confusing because we know it wasn't until Pentecost that we had the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We know it was when Jesus said, that's why Jesus said, don't do anything, stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift that was promised, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was, it was Pentecost that was the fulfillment of, of Joel's prophecy. In the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. So what was happening here? Well, I think the best way to look at it is... is Remembering that this is straight on the back of Jesus saying, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Straight on the back of that. He's reminding them. He's enacting out. And remember, you cannot do this in your own strength. You need to receive the Holy Spirit. They will eventually get that a few days later at Pentecost. But he's just reminding them again, I am not going to leave you on your own. John 14, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will send you another, a helper who will be with you forever, who's never going to leave. I'm going to have to go to be with my father, but I will send another. Receive him, receive him. What did they receive? I'm sure they received truth. Their eyes were opened. Faith came, I'm sure. But the full outpouring of the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. It also points to the fact that when God breathes, life comes. Life comes. We can think right back Genesis 2. God breathed on Adam. Life came. Again, with that prophetic picture in Ezekiel 37, the valley of dry bones, God's breath caused this this army to arise out of these bones. God's breath brings life. And so, this this message is clear. You know, if we are to take the good news of Jesus into the world, we need the breath of God in our lives. We need the Spirit of God, the power of God, this new power at work in us. We need His power. You know, we, we always give the opportunity for prayer at the end of a Sunday. If you, don't, if you don't have anything specific, an issue, or whatever you need praying for, why don't you just come forward and just say, I just want to be filled afresh with God's presence, with God's power. We can never have enough of God. He never runs dry. He's so generous. Finally, when we encounter Jesus, he sends us out with new authority. We have both the power and the authority of God to use that power. And so verse 23, he says, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Again, this can be a little confusing. It's like, wait, am I playing God? No, just to be clear, Jesus is not saying you now have the authority to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. What he is saying, though, is the message we carry, we carry in his name we carry in his authority it may be our voice that he's using but it is his authority it may be our hands but it's his mission it may be our words but it's his truth that sets people free so that's why when when everyone who receives the message that we bring if they receive it then their sins are forgiven If they reject it, then they're not forgiven. It's amazing, isn't it? The authority that we truly have in Christ. We carry this treasure within. It's not to be kept for ourselves. This is the the, the double-edged privilege that we have. We don't just get to worship a wonderful, present God. We don't just get to enjoy His presence, but we get to share Him with others as well. That is this double-edged privilege that we have. And the message we carry has the power to bring life and light into the darkness of hearts. Have you dialed back, maybe, on sharing your faith? Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. You know, my my prayer is for us to be so natural in the way we share our faith. Just pours out of us. You know, just just simply telling our story. Maybe if you've dialed back on that, why don't you just ask Jesus to open your eyes afresh to the opportunities around you. He will give you opportunities. Just ask God, God, I just open, open my eyes. Holy Spirit, just give me the words to say. It's your message. I carry your authority. I'm doing it in your strength, your power. This is a wonderful privilege that we all have, that we all have. So to conclude, a true encounter with Jesus will not just change us, but will give us the boldness and the passion to see other lives change too. It's a wonderful double-edged privilege. Every person here has this potential. Every single person has this potential to see lives changed, for the glory of God. So let's never settle for second-hand encounters. Let's never settle for second-hand faith. You know as I was preparing this, I felt God say that there were perhaps people here who, for too long, have lived kind of off their spouse's faith you've been very happy to allow your other half to to kind of be the spiritual one you've been happy to just receive insights from them you've been happy to feed off their faith really and I really believe God is saying to you this morning that I am calling you personally so we were singing here's the God who calls you by name He's calling you personally to have a personal encounter with Him. Don't dismiss yourself. Say, well, I'm not really the spiritual one in our relationship. God is calling you by name to know for yourself this this new peace and hope and joy, as well as this purpose. You have a purpose in life. You've got a new power. You've got a new authority. He wants you to experience this personally for yourself. This is living life to our potential. I love Adrian Warnock's book, Raised with Christ. I quite often get it out at Easter time. It's just one of those books that just just reminds us afresh the fact that the resurrection changed everything. Everything. If it wasn't for the resurrection, we're still dead in our sins, folks. The resurrection changed everything. Anyway, he said this. In this book, he said, if you are looking for purpose in your life, you will find it right here, right here in Jesus, in his life and in his mission. If you're looking for joy, there is no greater source. We are caught up in the mission of Jesus himself. Great celebration is ours when we are involved in helping others turn to him. Great celebration is involved. When we are helping others turn to him. I love that. When Jesus comes into our midst, we are empowered to bring new life and new hope into this world. So let's be expectant, yes, for Jesus to to, to come into our midst. Let's be expectant for fresh encounters with Jesus. As we gather on a Sunday, as you gather in your small groups, As you just spend time individually in his word, be expectant for a fresh encounter with Jesus as he comes into your midst. But let's also be expectant for other people to encounter Jesus as they come into our midst. Amen? Amen. Why don't we just stand and worship God? As I said, we always have an opportunity to to pray for people. But why not? I I just want to pray for us as a church. Yeah, if you're able, why don't you just stand to your feet? Here we are, Lord. We are your church. We are called. We are chosen. Lord, for those who have surrendered their lives to you, we can truly say you are our peace. You are our hope. You are our joy. I thank you that you are a God who is with us. You are ever present by your spirit. And I just pray that you will send us out with a fresh sense of purpose, that we will know your power and authority in a fresh way. Open our eyes, Lord, to the opportunities around us. Come, Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for those who perhaps have been happy to just get along with secondhand faith, secondhand encounters. Lord, I thank you that you are calling them even now by name. And I pray that they will have a personal encounter with you even this morning. We love you, Lord. We thank you that your heart is to see the whole world transformed for your glory. Thank you that we have a part to play in that. And that you have equipped us. You have given us everything we need. And we say, here we are. Send us out. Amen. Amen. Let's worship him.